Hey everybody, Josh Searson, World Alternative Media here, and we are joined by Tim Pachot, the Liberty Advisor, and today we're going to go into the housing bubble, the housing collapse, um, who knows when that'll happen, we'll go into that, and also the idea of a lot of people who are unemployed being unable to pay the rent and ending up on the streets, as we recently reported on. As we can see here, 32% of U.S. households missed their July housing payments, uh, articles like this, looming evictions may soon make 28 million homeless in the U.S., experts says. And by the way, that is about 9 out of 100, so just under 1 in 10 people homeless. And that's when the moratoriums expire. And we have gotten recent news as well. As it says, Kudlow says next round of coronavirus relief will include $1,200 checks and extension of eviction moratorium. And we're going to go into that and more today. But first, make sure to hit that like button. Check the links below. Um, and share this on social media to get around the shadow banning. Of course, join our new newsletter at www.imbanned.com. All you need to do is put in an email. We won't spam you. And obviously, you can find us on float.app, BitChute, Minds, Library. We are completely viewer-funded, so check the links below for that as we are completely demonetized here on YouTube. So anyway... Let's get into this. Um, I, we did see this um, recent article pop up that really makes us think about where the housing crisis really is going. As it says from Forbes, America's next housing crisis, how the pandemic is pushing renters to the brink. And obviously it goes without saying, you have all these people um, deferring on their mortgages. You got Airbnb completely collapsing because no one's um, getting involved in tourism. Everyone's staying inside their house, but they're not able to pay for their house. Um, it, it's, it's really insane what we're seeing. And we're seeing a lot of people talk about, a lot of politicians talking about raising um, property taxes in some cases as high as 32 percent but um, as this article out of Business Insider that I referred to earlier says Kulo says next round of coronavirus relief will include $1,200 uh, checks and extension of eviction moratorium so obviously that puts off the potential of all these people going homeless but as it says White House economic advisor Larry Kulo on Sunday said that the next round of coronavirus relief will include more checks to Americans and, and extend the federal eviction moratorium. And then it says, there's a $1,200 check coming that's going to be part of the new package Kudlow said during an interview with State of the Union on CNN. On Friday, the federal eviction moratorium ended, and this weekend, the extra $600 unemployment benefit ended as well. But, okay, so they're saying, we're going to keep giving you checks. They're saying, don't worry about the eviction moratoriums. We'll extend that. It's like, you can keep extending that, keep creating the problem, coming in as a solution. I mean, the amount of debt we're dealing with, the amount of printing we're dealing with, the amount of, uh, you know, this is really long-term absolutely tragic because this isn't going to just end smoothly they can either keep extending it and spending insane amounts of money and destroying the economy and destroying the markets further or and by the way completely communistic basically taking over people's property for them and they're not making any profit etc and then on uh, from their cash flow and then on top of that you have all these checks being printed and and just giving all these people free money quote unquote which sounds great if it weren't for the fact that the government created the problem in the first place and they're like oh sorry about ruining your life here's a twelve hundred dollar check i mean it won't end well what do you think tim yeah sorry we destroyed your job your business your 
family, your house, you can't afford anything. Well, but here's $1,200 and don't worry, you know, uh, four months later, we've got another $1,200 for you. So if it's any, if it's any consolation. And when it comes to Larry Kudlow, I was watching him at 14 years old, uh, coming home from school and watching CNBC, huge Larry Kudlow fan, huge. And then uh, in 2004, when I was on Facebook in the very beginning, uh, I listed Kudlow Report as my favorite show. So you can't say I'm like any like Kudlow derangement syndrome over here, but I've watched That's him. the thing, Kudlow derangement syndrome? I'm sure if I, if people, if I didn't have that proviso and people see me attacking Kudlow, that then, I mean, let's, I mean, the camera can't focus on it over there, but there is a signed Make America Great Again hat that I bought before the election thinking Trump was going to win. And I don't know really too many people that were willing to stick their neck out like that. Anyways, with that said, Larry Kudlow, every time there's a Republican in there, completely basically becomes a team player, takes away everything that he initially believed to basically support the team. And so this is a case for what, what was it in uh, like the late January, early February when they had the State of the Union and we said, you know, we will never be a socialist nation. So it looks like we're going straight from socialism right into communism, just bypassing it. And, um, you know, and, and it's just, you know, sad to see. I mean, even guys like Rand Paul the other day were up there saying that there's basically no, that, that the Republicans in the Senate are pretty much like the Bernie bros was, I think was his exact quote. That's why I don't understand why people don't love Trump. Like the left doesn't love Trump. He's literally what the left was 10 years ago. Basically the left have gone further left, but the, the right has gone further left as well. So it's like, I'm, I'm just confused. And he was a registered Democrat like 10 years ago. So, or maybe, maybe it was like 17 or 18 years ago. Anyways. Yeah. It's just, uh, when it, yeah, when it comes to the housing, I mean, one other thing, I've got another book over there sitting on the shelf called the demographic cliff by Harry Dent. And in that book, it talks about people's average, uh, you know, the most amount of spending occurs when someone is age 46. Then you take a look at the baby boomers. I believe that the baby boom, uh, I think, I think it, uh, started in, or yeah, I think it started in 1946. You add 46 to 1946, you get 1992 when Bill Clinton was coming in. And that's so you get this huge, you know, wave of, you know, next 20 something years of all these baby boomers coming into their peak earning years. Well, now, you know, those baby boomers are now the oldest ones are, I don't know, about uh, like 72, 73 years old. And so now they're at the point where they're forced to take money from their retirement accounts. Well, actually this year they're not because of the pandemic. They suspended that. But anyways, if they're not, very few people are in the position of being able to suspend that because they need the money. So if you're forced to sell, you're forced to sell. doesn't matter. I mean, it's a good time now because at least the market's back up. But you take a look at those demographic factors of having all these older people who have homes that are way bigger than they, than they need. They have homes that cost way more money and they would rather extract the equity out of their homes to be able, be able to live because they have to live. And so that's going to create downward pressure on housing prices as they go to sell to who? Like me, the millennials. Whereas, you know, most millennials don't have very good jobs or they've got jobs in the gig factory. And so then they're self-employed and we're self-employed. It's harder to become, to, it's harder to, you know, actually, you know, get the credit to be able to, you know, afford a home. You've got now, you're probably going to see more like multi-generational type homes as people start living back in with their parents and never make it outside of their mom's basement. And so I'm not saying like, and real estate's always, you know, hyper-localized. So if you know what you're doing in your area and you can create your own little monopoly man situation and, you know, being able to, you know, become, you know, the person that's collecting rents, so sort of like a, you know, Robert Kiyosaki cash flow, you know, yeah, you could still make it work. But a lot of people, when it comes to just like the overall macro hundred thousand foot view, uh, you know, there are some troubling signs. And I think the most troubling sign is the demographics of having this huge baby boom generation that the other, the only generation that's bigger than that right now is the millennials, but the millennials I'm at the, you know, I'm, you know, Josh is probably more towards uh, the middle of it. I'm towards the, the, the oldest millennials. I hate, you know, referring to myself. I don't actually, I never refer to myself as a millennial, but technically I meet that. It started that. in 1980, I think millennials, right? 
Yeah, I mean, it's some, sometimes it's like 82, but I mean, I'm, I'm 86, so I mean, I'm, you know, probably right, uh, the older. 86 years old. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But I mean, so here's the thing, Tim. Um, a lot of people will say, well, what else can Trump do? I mean, what else is he supposed to do? Well, I mean, like, first of all, not destroying the economy, and I'm not blaming Trump for this, but I mean, like, just not destroying the economy with a lockdown that was based on a complete lie. And I'm before I got to back that up um, quickly. So obviously we were told that 3.5% to 7% of people would die from the coronavirus. Then we find out that um, it's actually, uh, according to the CDC's recent study itself, 0.26%. And if you take out nursing homes, 0.2%. If you take out uh, people over 50, it's 0.1%. And if you consider all asymptomatic cases, it's 0.04%. And if you consider all people, and that's just if you have it, uh, that considering all people together, it's 0.002%. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's less than, in many cases, the flu. Now people will say, there's more deaths but the guy who created the test himself said that it doesn't actually test for coronavirus so you have a bunch of faulty numbers so maybe one in ten of those people actually had the COVID-19 that was clearly created in a lab in Wuhan China so um, again bringing it back here from event 201 and going forward we have Dr. Fauci who heads the um, uh, the Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases, who got millions and millions and millions of dollars in U.S. government grants to study the coronavirus in bats, uh, which was 96% similar to the novel coronavirus, at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, with the, which the World Health Organization refuses to investigate in their investigations into the origins of coronavirus. No corruption there at all. And keep in mind that when we're looking at that study done at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, including Dr. Fauci, they were looking into ways to spread to humans and we're supposed to sit here and say that's a huge coincidence that it just happened to end in October 2019 right before this breakout happened right before they destroyed the global economy using a crisis to the best of their ability never let a crisis go to waste and we are witnessing that right now so I'm sorry to get into the conspiracy stuff here but I mean come on then, this then is the Fed comes in and buys all the corporate bonds when nine days before I was giving a speech to Anarchapogo talking about how the corporate bond market was poised to blow up. It just needs one black swan to have the whole thing and the Fed's going to have to come in and start buying these bonds nine days before. And, and then the, then they shut down all these people's businesses but allow you to go to Walmart while shutting down the small um, the small chain stores or the family stores. I mean, come on. They were clearly trying to monopolize and they come in as a solution to the monopolization by monopolizing more. It's what government does best. Create a problem, come in as a solution with when you when you uh, see fear. So it's a Hegelian dialectic of problem, reaction, solution, repeat for eternity in a circle. And on top of that you have everyone getting kicked out of their homes or seizing private property under the guise of helping people so basically it's full-on communism at this point and it's worldwide you can't even escape it it's like every country in the world it's a prison planet I've looked into every government um, mandate in the world as far as travel restrictions go Every single country in the world, even the ones that didn't lock down in their own countries, are stopping people from other countries from coming in. And you might say, well, that's responsible. Responsibility isn't a collective thing. The very definition of responsibility is individualistic. That's the whole premise of freedom itself. Uh, responsibility isn't collective. Res uh, collective uh, collective um, responsibility is better defined as slavery. It's some other people deciding what's best for you and in a collective enforcing that on you. And look what we've seen now. Way more people are gonna die from the shutdowns 
as we've been reporting on since January, we said that that would happen if they did shut it down. And at that time they said, no, no one's going to shut everything down. No one's going to force quarantine anyone. I was saying in January that they would. And here we are months later. I said that we'd see a second wave shutdown that they're going to unleash on us. They're going to blame it on. Well, we can't if we don't, uh, you know, stay inside. We're going to hurt children, etc. They're already trying to push that narrative already. I mean, it's just New York State. I mean, I just left New York. Actually, the day the day I left New York, New York uh, banned people from coming from Arizona or else you had to go into a quarantine. That was like three weeks ago. So so I flew in there. It was fine. I leave there. The day I leave there, they banned people from coming from Arizona and Texas, and I think Florida. So the three states. Then it got up to like 11 states and up to 22 yeah. states. I think it's at 39 states now. So it's only, so pretty soon it's going to be like the opposite of Hotel California. You can leave, but you can't come back in. And my now my grandparents had, were into contact with somebody who uh, had corona or just tested positive. So now the contact tracers are telling them you can't go outside. And now uh, they have to, you know, do these all these special logs and be, you know. And keep in mind, like, and, and what I'm getting at really in, in the long run here is that when people say, well, what was Trump supposed to do? What uh, do you expect him to do? Well, what do you expect would happen if you shut down everything, if you destroyed everyone's jobs? Everyone's on borrowed time right now. With By December, January, February, everyone, all these small businesses that are still around now are going to run out of cash and they're going to be gone and there's more unemployment, more people who can't pay into the economy, more people that can't pay other businesses, so those will go under too. I mean, and they're printing so much money into the stock market, and eventually that's going to reach the hands of the public, and that's going to lead to inflation. I mean, it's the most disastrous policy I could ever imagine if we're ever going to centralize things. That's specifically the worst-case scenario. Yeah, and then, I mean, getting back to Trump, my first ever podcast, I would invite you guys over if you want to go to my, my channel. It's uh, The Liberty Advisor. You can find that on YouTube, and then inside of there, there you'll find a link to the podcast because don't bank on this being on YouTube forever, us being on YouTube forever. But if you want to find my podcast, it's up there. And the first, very first episode, this one was audio only. The rest of them, most, almost all of them are video. But the audio only one, this is the week he was elected, said that basically the worst thing, like you could elect Jesus, I think was the quote that I used. Yeah. And he's not going to be able to stop what's coming right now because it's already built up into the system. You go back to July 2015, Trump was talking about the stock market is a big, fat, ugly bubble. And I said the worst thing for him to do would be to continue continue business as usual at the Federal Reserve, blow up the bubble even bigger, and then, you know, have the Democrats then pull the credit from him. And I even even gave this reference in 2016, referencing Andrew Jackson when he was screwed by Nicholas Biddle, who was their second central bank president at the time who pulled the credit from the country and then collapsed everything. So then that way, Andrew Jackson would get the blame. Jackson was the last person to get rid of the central bank in America. And so unfortunately, Donald Trump took the easy, pushed the easy button. The easy button was, let's just, you know, have the Fed, you know, just keep expanding. And yeah, 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 he criticized the Fed, but when he was, but he was criticizing the Fed for all the wrong reasons. He criticized Janet Yellen in 2016 and, and uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, Obama in 2016, saying that, that Janet Yellen is doing political things to help uh, Hillary uh, get elected and to you know, make it so that way Obama can just worry about golfing all day. And he was right. But then he then came in and then wanted the Fed to do the same things that he was criticizing. And this, again, this was also talked about in the Anarcho Poco presentation that I gave and a year before at the Anarcho Zona presentation that I gave, where I also then referenced uh, how, you know, it was like 20 times that Trump called the unemployment numbers fake. And so he was echoing things that, you know, guys like Josh and myself have been saying the entire time. But then once all of a sudden it got to the point where he could use the narrative to then become, you know, the good guy uh, that look at me, look at everything I've done, like the narcissist that he is. And again, I have a hat that I spent money on before the election that's signed by Donald Trump thinking that he was going to win and supported him and used to have a life-size cutout of Donald Trump. And my daughter was born on his first day in office and I was wearing a Trump shirt. So I'm not Trump derangement syndrome 
him either, but I think that he's got a 0% chance of winning. Unfortunately, now we've got way less freedoms. We've got way less, the Federal Reserve is twice the size. They're coming in, buying up corporate bonds, coming up, buying junk bonds, doing all this stuff that they, you know, was our worst nightmare, you know, that even Obama didn't do, that even Osama Ben Bernanke didn't do. And now we have to have, you know, now I'm, you know, called like a libtard or something because I don't like it. Well, guess what? Because, you know, not saying that people watching this video, because, you know, our viewers are smarter than that, but, you know, there's a lot of people uh, out there who, we're criticizing guys like Josh and I. Well, it's you guys are the ones who didn't hold him to the fire and allowed all this stuff to fester. And I'm literally giving it a zero percent chance of him winning at this. Point. Not you guys watching, but not you know you what guys. we're talking you, about. Yeah, yeah. and I want to Italian, so I say you guys. And hey, uh, but hey, also I want to point out like I, I did an interview with Stephen Moore, who's one of uh, the top advisors to Donald Trump, economic advisors to Donald Trump, about a year ago, and I questioned him about a bunch of this stuff. I've been right about pretty much everything I questioned him on in the video, and he was wrong about basically every answer he gave me and he was known Stephen Moore is known as the Fed critic a big Fed critic by that uh, he they don't central plan in the way he wants them to central plan so that's how they call him a Fed critic and um, then, then they tried making him a Fed governor and then I believe that that because of all of his Fed critics they wouldn't let him become a governor uh, but yeah they, they well, tried to shoehorn him apparently there's some women that came out against him so they canceled him actually getting the the position that came out about a week before we did the interview but I wanted to focus on you know the more macro more important stuff and also, I mean, we've we've been right versus the Fed versus uh, Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, and Jerome Powell, and all their statements in the last year. All the things, all their predictions. We've been much better than them uh, on the prediction side of things. Yeah, pay, yeah, pay us three hundred thousand dollars to give a speech at your dinner. I mean, yeah. we've been way more accurate than Ben Bernanke, who that's just like a payoff through. I forgot like either Citadel or wherever he's, yeah. you know, uh, grifting off of right now. But yeah, I mean, what what? Why is that guy worth whatever he's? You know, three hundred thousand dollars a speech. You're not hearing anything useful out of it, anyways. If you go back to all his old stuff, and it was all wrong you know same thing with Janet Yellen same thing with all these people and it'll be interesting and Jerome Powell I mean like the day I got the Trump train was the day he picked Jerome Powell I was talking about this guy's absolute snake this guy is a swamp creature this guy is basically a disciple of Janet Yellen we're basically continuing business as usual and I knew that it was game over and then I was criticized oh 5d chess oh QAnon says this and QAnon says that and it's like well you know first off it's like my initials are trust the plan TTP and like I don't trust the plan second off I've been probably way more accurate than even Q on this stuff and when you're going I mean, how many times have I been told that Trump's going to shut down the Fed or Trump's going to end the Fed on this date going back three years ago and this and, and now we're looking at the Fed's way bigger no one everyone laid it down and because everyone's sitting on their hands everyone Everyone's complacent. Everyone's being apathetic under the guise of doing something because they're supporting something that they think will save them from themselves or save them from this beast that um, we're dealing with in Washington, D.C. And that's not Trump. This is the idea of government, the organized crime racket we call government, which will always find a way to get people, even the most viciously militant anti-government people, to sit on their hands and look at what they've done. They've perfectly done just that another reason why we need to be standing up and be louder than ever but this Trump video is coming into a, a impossible situation just unfortunately i and i like a lot of the and he's been given more crap than anyone and the, the fact that he's even still standing and still alive is kind of amazing uh to me so i'm not trump derangement syndrome i like a lot of the stuff he says but there's other stuff that fundamentally he tried. It's not, it's not an easy message to go to people with the message of freedom and go to the message of, you know, ending the Federal Reserve. Nobody cares about that, unfortunately. And so Ron Paul got people.
people to read big economic treatises. And with Donald Trump, he's just playing to this base of, you know, you know, how can I, because I mean, the average person's at like a seventh grade reading level, or maybe it's not even seventh grade, but anyways, it's very low reading level. And he's smart enough to know that and plays to that. But, you know, you play with fire, you get burned. He's been playing with fire, inviting all these swamp creatures in there, inviting guys like Gary Cohn, who was the first economic advisor who replaced, who Cudlow replaced. That guy was a Hillary Clinton carbon tax supporter, also a huge Hillary Clinton, uh, don't, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, bundler, and then also worked for Goldman Sachs. Right. And it's like, you know, I worked my ass off to get Donald Trump elected to put in, uh, to, you know, have an entire cabinet full of Goldman Sachs people and to have, you know, Gary Cohn, Mr. Carbon Tax coming in. Like, I, I did not, sorry, I did not work my butt off to have Gary Cohn be the economic advisor. And then now I love a guy like Gary, like Larry Kudlow, but then he goes in there and then sells out and does, does all the, you know, economic steroids. He does literally the opposite of everything he talked about for years on his show. I mean, I mean, literally the opposite. Every single interview and every single show he'd ever done um, is the opposite. He's been called on it multiple times. I remember I saw, I think it was Chris Wallace called him on it on uh, Fox a couple years ago when he was first announced to, uh, you know, come in. Uh, he he was called on it and he said, look, we are allowed to change our opinions over time. What, after like 40 years, you just suddenly get a job, they pay you a bunch and they, they you know, give you these this credit of working alongside the president and suddenly your whole ideology just changes like that i mean come on it's probably not even the payment it's probably like the status symbol of being oh he gets to go to all the nice parties and gets to you know do all the coolest things when in washington and gets to go to the nice country clubs and go golfing and it's probably more of that stuff that he's in it for people get tired after years and years of talking about this stuff and trying to you know do the right thing then they hit like 70 80 years old and they're like oh I've, you know obviously nobody cares let me just like you know like alan greenspan alan greenspan was a like basically sounded like josh and i when he was in his 20s and 30s and then he gets in there he's like well you know i had to go in there and do things to kind of screw people because if i didn't do it it'd be somebody else that'd be doing it way worse and so that was his you know machiavellian uh you know mental gymnastics gotta love gotta love that argument anyway this video has gone on too long and we were talking about housing um before we close this off how long do we have until this ticking time bomb of the housing market kind of blows up Ah, oh, man, I'm sort of surprised it hasn't already blown up. But I mean, getting back to the demographics, I mean, you just have, you know, not to mention, you know, people out of work, people, you know, you're getting different uh, unemployment stuff. But I mean, who knows, if you see a complete collapse of the dollar, then you could see housing prices actually, you know, potentially skyrocket in that type of environment. But it, Overall, I think you can't run the demographic issues, but you know, but if you priced it in Bitcoin, it might, you know, there'd be massive deflation. If you price it in dollars, it could be massive inflation. Price it in gold, it could be massive deflation in, in the housing prices. And so that's why you want to take your assets and kind of shift them in different places because you know you could, you know, and again, not financial advice, but you could go from having you know a gold and silver position that skyrockets, and then you use that to come in and buy the house that you just sold. I'm right now in a townhome that I'm renting right now because I. I think right now is a terrible time to buy a home. And that's for me. And maybe it's not if, you know, I'm in a different position than other people right now. Uh, but if I had a family and I wanted to be, you know, uh, you know, be somewhere for 10 years, I was in a spot I wanted to be forever. I had my forever home or had a homestead or had was already self-sufficient. That's one thing. But, you know, you know, if, if you're in a house that you don't want to be there for the next three to five years, I would seriously consider right now, you know, maybe trying to rent. Uh, now, again, that's that's my own, you know, kind of take on it. Uh, but right now, I think it is a disastrous time to buy unless you want to have your forever home, then you can, 
you know, lock in a low, super low rate right now. If, I don't know, it might even be below three uh, on a mortgage rate. And if you can afford that and you've got income coming in and you like the area and you've got friends and family and community, then yeah, go ahead and maybe do that. But, you know, everyone's going to have different circumstances. There's not just one vanilla yes or no answer to this. But, you know, I think, you know, in the grander scheme of things, just macro picture, the demographics and the fact that everyone's losing their jobs right now, you know, I think those are two of the biggest double whammies uh, that you could possibly have to have a big downward negative pressure on housing prices. But who knows, maybe the Fed comes in and gives everybody, you know, a million dollars, then housing prices goes up. So I mean, I don't want to give them any ideas, because it sounds like they always do, you know, whatever is the worst thing possible. And, uh, you know, helicopter money is probably on its way. And so, you know, that's going to distort things. The government's is also going to make it worse, but their distortions are, so I'm trying to predict off based off their distortions, but absent their distortions, yeah, it would have already gone down by now. Right. Well, anyway, um, I appreciate everyone watching us. We, we will continue to break down this issue as it elapses. Obviously, we are far from this being over anytime soon, and it's probably going to get worse grab before it gets better. Yeah, grab the popcorn. That's right. Well, anyway, um, make sure to hit that like button, uh, share this on social media to help us get around the shadow banning. Join our newsletter at www.imband.com. All you have to do is put in your email. We won't spam you. It's very important to help us actually be able to contact you. And of course, join us on float.app, BitChute, Minds, and Library. You can find Tim and become a client of Tim's at thelibertyadvisor.com. All is linked below in the description and the comments of this video. And of course, um, we are viewer funded completely. So yeah, they're going to they're gonna have like a free rent payment or mortgage payment with the COVID vaccine. That's going to be my prediction. There's going to be some sort of UBI ties to the vaccine and then oh you get like uh you know two months free rent oh, or def something definitely housing relief i mean it, they're not going to let one in ten people go homeless um they are going to the banks are going to buy up the houses then the government's going to take over these uh, properties they're going to control 10 percent of the properties in the country it'll be completely communism and then they'll give away free houses and they'll pretend that they weren't totally the ones that forced people out of their homes in the first place so yeah obviously they're going to find some way around this but anyway uh, as as i was saying we are completely viewer funded so make sure to um check those links for ways that you can find us uh, patreon gofundme subscribe star obviously you can pledge in crypto on float we have cointree where you can pledge or you can send money in in different cryptocurrencies including monero and of course we have our bitcoin address below um, all all of those things help immensely so anyway uh we will see you guys soon we won't be on youtube much longer so make sure to check back whenever you can and join us on those other platforms until next time this is josh searson and tim pachote Signing out from World Alternative Media. Find the truth, be the change.